0: Your Bibles to Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one and verse nine is our text this morning. So we continue our wonderful uh, study in the book of Revelation. Just kind of, just kind of getting into it here, and still uh, learning so much. I pray anyway, learning so much about the Lord and who he is and the kinds of things that he uh has done is doing and will do in the future our our hymns were very appropriate this morning one one line in particular speaking of Jesus Christ as our prophet our priest and our king and and you know some some uh hymns songs are better than others as far as their uh, biblicalness, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a word, but that definitely describes who Jesus is. He came as a prophet the first time. He is acting as our priest at this very moment in time, and he will come again as a king in the future. And and so much of the book of Revelation is about the future. And so much of it, really the entire thing is for us today. And nothing could be, no no verse could, could say that more succinctly than Revelation 1.9. It says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And our, so our passage this morning has three very big Three very big topics, like huge topics in it this morning, and I pray that we get it through it all because uh it's one set and it's uh it's an important these are three important things for us to have a very precise and correct understanding of what exactly John is saying here, what the Lord is saying through John to us and when we properly understand it, we get the benefit of, of what, is, what is being spoken of here. So, without any further ado, we'll just get right into it. We find ourselves here uh, in this opening section of the book of Revelation. If you remember, Revelation 119 gives us our outline for, for the entire book. The Lord says to John, therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. So we are currently in that first part there, the things which you have seen. And that primarily is wrapped up in this vision of the risen Christ that we have really beginning here. In verse nine is again is another introduction. We've had a lot of introductions here so far in these first nine verses. This is another introduction, really, to this uh, vision that John had on the island of Patmos almost two thousand years ago, uh, where he saw Jesus Christ and he revealed himself and his future. Really, his he revealed his person his. Power and his plan to John to be written down here in this wonderful book that we call Revelation or the Revelation of Jesus Christ, written by the Apostle John in about AD 95 to 96 uh, to seven literal churches. And it is a book that is primarily about the future. We see that in our outline. We typically, in uh, at least Western thinking anyway, want to have our outlines nice and balanced, equal number of points under every letter. That's not the way the Bible is. That certainly isn't the way the book of Revelation is. And in fact, that gives us a point of emphasis. We know what God is emphasizing in this book by the where the balance of the material is, and that is in this future section. That's why, as dispensationalists, we, we consider ourselves to be futurists. We have a futurist outlook towards the book of Revelation. Why? Because it's talking about the future. Chapters 4 through 22 really are all about future events the things which will take place after these things so we find ourselves here in this beginning section with this vision of Jesus Christ this vision of the risen Je- Jesus Christ and so today the title of our message is it will be worth it and that is that is a fact that we can take away from um, the Scriptures. So there's some pronouns in there. It will be worth it. What is the it? The it is the future. And we find the it in the middle of those three very important concepts that we need to understand. John says that he is our brother, our fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom, and perseverance another aspect of western thinking is that we the way we tell stories or the way that we convey information we have an introduction uh, in a movie for example you introduce the characters we develop them we learn about them and then there's some great conflict in the in the story whether it's in the beginning or in the middle of the story and then there's a resolution In the end. Well, that's not necessarily always the way that Eastern thinking, the Bible was written by people not from the West, if we want to make a delineation. They're actually Eastern people, Jewish people. And so they have a different way of conveying information. And oftentimes they will put the main topic in the middle of the story. So they'll build up to the middle and then they'll digress from that middle thought. It's called a chiasm. That's the technical term. And I believe that's what we have here. It will be worth it. We are fellow partakers with John in the kingdom. That's the middle part. There's tribulation before that kingdom comes. And it's going to take perseverance to succeed, perseverance to to uh, not that we're earning the kingdom, we certainly are not earning the kingdom, but to it will take perseverance to hear the Lord say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And that most definitely should be the goal of all, all of our lives. So that's what the it is. The it is our future with the Lord, and it will certainly be worth it, but it isn't going to be easy, and it's going to take some perseverance to get there. Notice Revelation 1, nine. It says again, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Notice that first part. We have to, we have to lay some groundwork in our laying of groundwork even because that, that is key to understanding the message of what John is revealing to us, what the Lord is telling us. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker. John is our brother. And what, does, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to be a brother? What does it mean to be a fellow partaker? Wow, good question. Who are we? As believers in Jesus Christ, we are part of the family of God. And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that the, the sisters goes without saying. We are one family united by faith in Jesus Christ. And we are in Him by faith. Ephesians 1.13 makes that very, very clear that a person has to hear the gospel, they have to believe in the gospel, and at that instant that they do believe in the gospel, they become a part of the family of God. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise we spent obviously some time talking about this passage when we studied Ephesians but there's a whole lot of a whole lot of truth there that we can take away from this passage first off you have to listen to the message of truth after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, the good news of your salvation, you're separated from God by your sin. The good news is that Jesus Christ, God the Son, came in human flesh and gave himself as a sacrifice for your sins. And you have to believe in that. Only one condition mentioned there. Not promise to do Great things. Uh, Put everything aside. Count the cost. Make sure you know it's going to be really horrible after you've done this. And then trust in the good news. Not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then continue in good works and don't step off this narrow path. If you do, just not sure you ever really did it. He says... It says, the word of God says, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed, past tense, ongoing consequences. You were sealed, not by a a UPS worker or a postal worker. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is a seal that, of course, cannot be broken. Because, verse 14, he is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So as a brother, we are in him by faith. In several passages make mention of the fact that we are now in the family of God. We're the Bible Uh, uses this term brothers and brethren many times to refer to believers in Christ, to members of the church. That's what we are. When we trust in Christ, we become members of the universal church. So all of us here who've trusted in Christ, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, members of his family. Acts chapter 11 uh, is a very interesting passage talks a lot a lot about these same concepts that we're discussing today when we get there tribulation and and difficulties and how God uses those for to further his agenda it's kind of interesting acts chapter 11 verse 19 says so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen if you remember Stephen was an a, was a one of the first deacons in the first church, pretty important guy. You read if you want to be you want to be built up in the faith. Uh, there are some wonderful movies to watch that can inspire you to stand in the face of persecution not recommending every moment of every movie and, and these kinds of things, but Braveheart, if you're familiar with that, Mel Gibson movie, there's some pretty objectionable things in there. But you want to be inspired by somebody, a, an actual character from history. You know, there there are some very inspirational uh, stories out there. I wish somebody would make a movie about Stephen and Acts chapter... Uh, seven in particular, in the, the fortitude and the perseverance that it took to stand in the face of people who had the power of death over you and to stand there and tell them like it is. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is God in human flesh, and you put him on the cross uh, knowing that it's going to end in his death. He, did, he said it anyway. And great persecution arose out of that. And God used that to spread these nasty Christians all over the known world. They were driven out of Jerusalem to do just exactly what God said they were going to do. He used persecution to accomplish that end for the gospel to spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, that's happening You can make the case in large part because of persecution. Acts 11 and verse 20 says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. Uh Uh-oh, I thought this was only for the Jews. They're talking to the Greeks, (laughs) preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord and he left for Tarsus, to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The brethren were uh, gathered together to learn from the Apostle Paul. Romans 8.14 makes it very clear that we are by being indwelt by the Spirit in Him, by way of faith, we are the sons of God. Romans 8.14, 8, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God are, these are sons of God. And so by virtue of being in God's family, we have many, many things. In fact, we have every spiritual blessing we learned in Ephesians Chapter 1. Here are some of those blessings that you see on the screen now. We have eternal life, of course, through faith in Jesus Christ, through believing in Jesus Christ, John 3:16. Believing in nothing else, we have eternal life. We have the forgiveness of sins through trusting in Christ. In fact, that's what really salvation is all about, is having our sins Forgiven each and every one of us knows that we are sinners. we have a conscience given to us by God, and unless we have some sort of mental issue going on in our heads, even secular uh, psychologists will recognize this that that people have a conscience unless you have something wrong with you, and that conscience tells you when you do something wrong, we need forgiveness that forgiveness is found in jesus christ ephesians one seven in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We have transferred righteousness. When we trust in him, he gives us a part of his righteousness. He can do that because it's infinite. He gives us a little piece of his infinite righteousness. So guess what? When you slice off a part of infinity, it's still infinite. That's I, I don't know any other way to explain it, but that's what he gives us. He gives us a peace, quote-unquote, of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are in him by way of faith. He grants to us his Righteousness, imputed righteousness could be the, the theological term for that. That that um, amazing uh, transaction that takes place, that transaction of righteousness. We give him our, <laughs> that's a pretty good deal. Got a good deal for you. You can give your sin to God and he in return gives you his righteousness. That's, that seems like a deal too good to be passed up. And when he does that, another thing that he gives us, since we are now righteousness, we can be a home for God, and that's exactly what he does for us. This deal just keeps getting better. We are the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. "...or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God?" and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Not only that, but we have deliverance from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians 5.9 For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the very Word of God that is given to us as believers, as members of his family, 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20. This prophetic word made more sure, more sure than our experiences. We have the word of God that we can uh, apply to our hearts and our minds to be conformed to his image. But pertaining to our passage today, what we have is fellowship with Christ. Notice that John says that he is a fellow partaker in Jesus, with these uh, three items that are that are mentioned there, First Corinthians one nine says that God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we kind of celebrate that you know, at the communion table. That's what communion is really all about. It's a reminder, of course, of what Jesus has done for us. We need to be reminded of that. It's very easy, for me personally anyway, digging into these books of the Bible as individual things. It's kind of easy to neglect the rest of the Bible and just get just bear down into these things and learn these future events, and and the verse, the literal verse, just spend all your time in that verse that you're studying this week, and that's, that's, it's good, and there's a bad side to it as well, because you miss out on so much of the rest of the Bible, and so it's good to be reminded that Jesus has died for our sins, that's why we have communion, but it also is the communion aspect of it that there is fellowship between us and christ and one another we have fellowship in one another we are partaking in this together to to build our uh to use the 21st century term to build community but but it's a real thing i mean we are coming together to show that we that we are we're all in this together in this life of faith in jesus christ and uh, the Psalms were something that I was reminded of. This, in fact, just this very morning, in reading the Psalms and being refreshed by some of the things that you find there. It's very easy to get bogged down in Revelation. You can think that, like, you know, man, this world is pretty bad that we're living in right now, and it's going to be even worse. And that can, you know, you see it in the prophets. That Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Because he was consumed by god 's judgment and the horrible things that are happening, and we don't need to be we don't need to be consumed by these things be go to the psalms, read some of those it's it's wonderful <laughs> psalm twenty seven psalm one eighteen just as as an example for me personally this morning but we are we are fellow partakers we are in fellowship with Christ. Notice what Paul says to Philemon. Philemon is a wonderful book also. Verses 4 through 7 it says Paul writing to Philemon, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. There's some fellowship for you, verse 6. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So he has fellowship with Christ, and his prayer is that that fellowship with Christ would affect him in such a way that he does good things for other people. And that's exactly what Philemon is doing. And that's uh, something that we should be doing as well. koinonas is the Greek term. You might not be able to see it there on the bottom of the screen, but that's the Greek term for fellow partaker. It's one word, compound word. And as you see, we have this fellowship in many, many things as Christians John here in our passage men- mentions three specific things three specific things that pertain to what God is doing now and what he is going to do in the future that's what he could have picked all of these things but he picks three specific things tribulation kingdom and perseverance so that first one what can we expect in this life? I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. Uh Uh-oh. I thought we were pre-tribulation here. I guess we've kind of already let the cat out of the bag on this one in our introductory messages, if you remember. But he says here, fellow partaker in the tribulation... And all three of these, tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance, are in Jesus, By just grammatically. That's the way, that's what he is saying here. All of these things are in Jesus. That's why the NASB inserts which are in italics there. That's not in the text, but that's what John is expressing. To us, incidentally, I John. This is the third time in the first nine verses that his that he has named himself as the author. John the Apostle is the author of Revelation. It's ridiculous to even have to emphasize it, but he says that we are fellow partakers in the tribulation in Jesus. Notice also that last part. We'll get to that shortly. That's why I have that highlighted. That. That will inform us of what John is specifically naming here when he says tribulation. Oh, by the way, I was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So, tribulation. Is it the tribulation, like the Ohio State University? Or is it tribulations with a small... T, are we talking the big one or are we talking something else? Well, the, the BDAG defines this term, phlipsis is the Greek term for tribulation. It is trouble that inflicts distress, oppress, oppression, or affliction. And make no mistake that the Bible makes very clear there there are two kinds of tribulation that are mentioned in the Bible, one is kind of everyday living. We live in a fallen world and and bad things are going to happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people also. in case you didn't didn't realize that, don't want to feel too sorry for ourselves. Uh, the rain falls on the righteous and and the godly at the same time. But the Bible also makes very clear that there is a v. Great tribulation, the tribulation, there is a period of time coming upon the earth that is a real future event, and we can go to numerous, I was going to say innumerable, but you probably can count them, so it's not innumerable. There are numerous passages that describe to us a period of judgment upon the earth that has not Taken place. And so I have a few of them listed here that mention them. Daniel chapter 12 is one. Getting towards the end of a lot of our references that we find in Revelation, we're going to go to the book of Daniel to kind of make our points because Daniel is sort of the Old Testament version where Revelation is the New Testament version an expansion on what we find in Daniel. Daniel's the framework. Revelation is the finish the finished product, the finished carpentry if you want to think of it as a as a home. Daniel 12:1 says, "Now at the at that time Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise" Notice this, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, Israelites, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. At that time, when this period of distress, unlike any other, has taken place, this is how we know this wasn't the holocaust. For example, you can go to Revelation twelve one. if somebody says, oh, you know, uh, well, the tribulation was actually World War II and it was the Holocaust and we can allegorize it and dismiss it because it's already it's already happened. Oh, really? I didn't know every Jewish person was saved now. Because that's what it says. The result of the tribulation will be Every Jewish person whose name is written, found, written in the book will be rescued. Just the words on the page. Jeremiah 30 and verse 7 also mentions this period of great distress. Alas, for that day is great, there is none like it, and it is a time, the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. It is a time of Israel's distress, but he will be saved from it. Zephaniah 1, verses 1 through 3, the word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Verse 2, I, the Lord says, I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, that hasn't happened yet. This must be in the future, declares the Lord. Verse 3, I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins of "'Along with the wicked, and I will cut off man "'from the face of the earth,' declares the Lord." Verse 15, a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of cloud and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Uh, a very clear pointing to the day when God will bring distress upon the earth. Uh, and it is a time, to, uh, his decision against the nations, Zephaniah three eight says. Jesus himself spoke of this period of time, Matthew 24.21 in the Olivet Discourse. He says, from then there will be a great tribulation such as not Occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Referencing there, specifically, the second half of what we know as the seven-year tribulation. Daniel 9.27 gives us this seven-year period. The second half is known as the Great Tribulation by scholars, if you want to make a distinction. Some will refer to all of the period of the tribulation as the great tribulation. So certainly, most definitely, there is a future period of time that we have come to refer to as the tribulation. But is that what John is speaking of here? I would say no. That is not what John is speaking of here. For one, because the Bible in totality will teach that the church is exempt from this period of time known as the seven-year tribulation, this time of Jacob's distress, a time of distress for Israel. And one piece of evidence of that that is very pertinent to the book of Revelation is that once we go from chapter 3, chapters 2 and 3, which we see church, 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 about 20 times in those verses, once we move to Revelation 4, just flip one page over, we're not going to see the word church again until we get all the way to the very end of the book, Revelation 21 and 22. But we do see very much descriptions of the nation of Israel, particularly in chapters 6 through 19. We will see Israel and very Israelitish discussion going on in uh, the book of Revelation, particularly chapter 12. We are promised to be delivered from this wrath that is to come. Romans 5, 9 for one, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 5, nine. Oh, mention the church being delivered from this wrath that is to come. And our outline, we're looking for the book of Revelation, we're looking at the things which you have seen, then we have the things which are, the things which are to come, future Tense. So here, I believe that John is referring to the time period of the things which are. Things which are right now. We have tribulation in this life. In case you didn't notice, we have some difficulties in this life that we are living. John was very familiar with the difficulties of life. In fact, he is going through Trial Right now, as he is living, he is exiled to the island of Patmos that we see on the screen there. A wonderful map of this area of the world where John was exiled to. He is undergoing tribulation at this time. It says that he was on the island called Patmos because of... The word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This word for testimony, the word that we get our martyr, our term martyr from. John, they tried to martyr John. They tried to kill him, execute him, but he just wouldn't die. So they sent him off to this barren island in the middle of the Aegean Sea to uh, think about his crimes against the state. And boy, did he get the opportunity to think about them. In fact, he penned the book of Revelation while he was there in that, in that uh, term of exile. Because of the word of God, because of his testimony of Jesus Christ, he faced persecution. He faced tribulation in his life. And tradition will tell us that after Domitian died, he returned to Ephesus and continued to carry on. So here's our here's our timeline that we're going to see we might even see it later on today. Uh again, but during this church age, the things which are chapters 2 and 3 messages to churches, things which are going on right now. Those same things are going on in our churches, not that it's describing allegorically the church age, but we have these same difficulties that they did. We're going to see. They have trials, tribulations, and temptations during this time, and they have to be dealt with. That's what we are experiencing right now. Flipsis, Greek term, for those difficulties. Then we will be raptured. Then... The tribulation will begin after that. Tribulation with a capital T. The Bible definitely, definitely, definitely teaches that we will face difficulties in this life. We should not expect life to be easy. Even if we have great faith, we should not expect this life to be easy. They will say, just have enough faith and things will work out. God will bless you. God will bless you materially if you just have enough faith. Did Paul have faith? Did Barnabas have faith? Did Peter have faith when he was uh, going to be executed and insisted on being crucified upside down so that he wouldn't die the same way as his Lord? Did he have enough faith at that point in time, you will not find a record of the apostles or really anybody from the New Testament being materially blessed in this life. In fact, they faced great persecution. Stephen, stoned to death. The believers spread throughout the world, exiled from their, their jobs, their, their families, their, uh, the place where they grew up and spent their entire lives the only ones getting rich and materially quote unquote blessed from from this kind of doctrine are the charlatans who are who are spewing it forth we can expect life to be difficult even here in america especially as we move forward in the direction that our country is going in we can expect persecution that's just those are just facts from history you gotta you gotta learn your history when when nations turn towards satanic principles christians godly people begin to face persecution you know our nation is in my opinion uh, and i think it can be objectively shown the greatest nation uh, that has ever existed on this planet outside of Israel uh, in a a godly state, at least anyway. Not because of of the race of the people who founded us or some ridiculous idea like that, but by the very principles that our nation was founded on. It, It was founded upon godly principles. And that's what makes... Uh, the term American exceptionalism. We were founded upon exceptional, great principles. Sorry for the, for the uh, mic pop there. We were founded on the idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or the pursuit of property is what the, the founders really wanted to put in there. And, you know, we might, oh, that's, just, that's so greedy. Why, What? Those are actually godly principles. In fact, you'll find them in the book of Genesis, as a matter of fact. Those are what we would refer to as divine institutions. God gave us life. Therefore, uh, even uh, we should be able to pursue it. God created the first man out of the dust of the ground. Now he creates them in the wombs of women. And there is life there when that takes place. We have a right to that from God's word we have a right to liberty God gave us a conscience he gave us the he created us in his image with the right to make decisions the right to decide things that's what it's uh, we can call it you can call it a free will you can call it uh, you can call it whatever you want you can call it volition that's being made in God's image. God gave that to us. He gave Adam the ability to choose between right and wrong. Are you going to obey me or are you going to disobey me? That's volition. Adam had that given to him by God. In the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of property, uh-oh, What it, what, it, what do you mean there? How can that be a godly principle? That just sounds like capitalism. That sounds mean and hateful. Well, as a matter of fact, God put Adam not in the, not in the garden to uh, be a happy little socialist who just had everything given to him. He put him there to work. And, by, he, was to, uh, and he was to tend to the garden. And even after sin, he still had the, the duty of working. Now he has to eat by the sweat of his brow. That means he is enjoying... The fruits of his labor. And so when we come to America, 21st century, we believe people don't, in fact, have the right to life. We, in fact, uh, don't believe that people have the right to liberty, see uh, last week, as a matter of fact. We don't have liberty, and we (laughs) you don't have to be a PhD in political science to realize that the government, the United States government, thinks that you do not have a right to the fruits of your labor. And so as these divine institutions are attacked at their very foundation, our nation will crumble, and we will face tribulation if you want to stand up for godly principles. So I would say that as these principles are eradicated, we are no longer exceptional, and believers can expect persecution. John, Revelation 1 9, was undergoing persecution in this life. Jesus pointed out in the parables of Matthew 13 that some people would fall away when they faced temptation, trials, tribulation, with a small t, in their lives. Some people would fall away. That doesn't mean that they aren't saved. It means that they're going to face difficulties and they're going to fall. Don't be like them, is his admonition. Matthew 13, 20 the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. There's life there. The seed germinates. Verse 21, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction, affliction uh, flipsis, or persecution arises, because of the word, immediately he falls away. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, the apostles are imprisoned. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, as after Stephen is martyred, Paul himself, Saul at the time, is responsible for chasing the brethren uh, away, going after them, looking to imprison them. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, John's very brother, James, is put to death. Acts 14 in uh, verses 1 through 7 speaks of some of the difficulties that the Apostle Paul faced in his life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11 verses 21 through 29. We're just breezing right over all of these. I'd recommend reading them later on that that lists all of the uh, tribulation that the apostle Paul faced in his life: beatings, being uh, beatings without number, receiving thirty-nine lashes. He was jailed. He was uh, stoned to death. As a matter of fact, because of his testimony and his actions for Jesus Christ, Second Timothy. That's why Paul could write Second Timothy in uh, chapter three and verse twelve, the last letter that Paul wrote, things that were really important to him. Typically, to people write the last thing that they're going to say or write is typically kind of important in their thinking. Second Timothy would be that three twelve says, "Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, except for Americans." Of course, it doesn't say that. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus pointed out that there was a reward for that, <clears throat> for enduring persecution and tribulation. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who have been Persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We can expect tribulation in this life, small t. Now, this the idea of a pre tribulation rapture is not a get out of jail free card. Someday, when they start arresting Christians, uh, you can't you're not going to be able to say to the authorities, Oh, but wait, I believe in the pre tribulation rapture, so you can't arrest me. That's not at all what this doctrine of pre-tribulation rapture is about. We are not escapists. We do not believe in escapism. Oh, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, so the economy is going to be great, and we're just going to die in our sleep. Uh, Praise the Lord for those who do. (laughs) That is a wonderful way to go, but we have no promise of that being the case. The Bible is very clear on this. We as believers should be ready to suffer. So while we are exempt from the tribulation, we are not exempt from tribulations. In fact, John is saying here that we are fellow partakers in tribulation. That is in Jesus Christ. That's part of who we are. We I could have added that to the list. Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, heaven, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Man, this is awesome. And tribulation can go into that list, but we can also expect something great in the future. What are we heirs of? John mentions it here in our passage. Uh, that we are fellow partakers, not just in tribulation, but in the kingdom, which is in Jesus. Oh, another difficulty. Wait a second. Is John saying that we are in the kingdom now? Or are we fellow partakers in the kingdom now? Man, this is getting kind of hard. Obviously, a lot of people are going to say that yes, we are in the kingdom now. Interestingly, some, a lot of those same people are just going to breeze over that tribulation part. Well, how can we be in tribulation and the kingdom at the same time? It's very obvious that we are facing tribulation today, but we're also in the kingdom. Well, that's just a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches the kingdom actually is. And and the Bible defines the terms. We don't get to make up our own definitions. But And they would say, well, you're making up your own definition about tribulation. And well, actually, no, we're not. The Bible's very clear. We're going to face difficulties in this life. And it's also very clear that the kingdom of God, particularly what the book of Revelation is about, is the kingdom of God coming to this earth and being established by Jesus Christ, and John even says it here, that this kingdom is in Jesus. So are we in the kingdom now? The obvious answer to that is no. The Bible is is also very, very clear that there is seven years of tribulation, and then the kingdom comes upon the earth. That's Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He makes that point very clear that that from our uh, passage that we were reading before Daniel 12.1 that there is this period of tribulation coming upon the earth. For some reason, this didn't make it onto my sheet, so I have to look it up the old-fashioned way. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Verse 10, speaking of this same uh, time period, this time period leading up to the kingdom period, verse 10, many will be purged, purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked Will understand, but those who have insight will understand from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be twelve hundred and ninety days, three and a half years will take place. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. So there's a 45-day period. I would recommend to you Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who goes into great detail about that 45-day period. But nevertheless, from the midpoint of the tribulation to the end, 1,290 days, and then there's a 45-day period, which will lead into the kingdom of God upon the earth verse 13 but as for you Daniel go your way to the end then you will enter into rest and rise again for your for your allotted portion at the end of the age Daniel was an inheritor of the kingdom because he had faith in the god of Israel we too are inheritors of this kingdom that is to come in the future. I'm getting a little ahead of myself uh, because we're still talking about whether or not we're in the kingdom now and the answer is no. Very clearly this is a future event. It was future to the time of Daniel. It's also future to us. The time that we are living in. Revelation 20 verses 1-7 through makes that very clear. After these things... There is a 1,000-year kingdom upon the earth, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7, makes very clear. And every one of the verses that we just talked about on the last slide concerning trials and tribulations in this life make very clear that we are not living in God's kingdom on this earth. Tribulation and then kingdom. This is another one of those if you only take one thing away from our study of Revelation (laughs) understand. Church age, rapture, seven years of tribulation, not the rapture doesn't start the tribulation. Some periods subsequent to the rapture, the Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel. That will begin the seven year tribulation. Why? Why? Because the tribulation period, capital T, is about the nation of Israel. The Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel. That begins seven years of tribulation. At the midpoint, there's the abomination of desolation. 1,290 days later, Jesus Christ comes again and establishes his kingdom. That's more than one thing, but just take it all as one package. Church age, rapture, Tribulation, second coming, kingdom. That's what the Bible describes. We are not in the kingdom now, but we are heirs of the kingdom. We have it to look forward to. An heir is someone who is promised a, a fortune. It doesn't have to be a fortune to be an heir, but let's just say it's a fortune. You're promised a fortune in the future When an an event takes place, it could be your 18th birthday or your 25th birthday, it could be the death of your father or your mother, you will then inherit something in the future. By being heirs of the kingdom, that means by definition it is in the future. And when Christ rules and reigns upon the earth, we will be there with him as Believers, Revelation 5.10, speaking of believers, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. We are not reigning now. In spite of what the little God's people will tell you, we are not reigning right now. It is in the future, and we will reign with him upon the earth. That same phraseology is used in Revelation 20, to describe tribulation believers or tribulation saints, they too will reign with Christ for a thousand years upon the earth. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if, as is the fact, would be a better translation NASB says, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ by virtue of having our faith in him. Ephesians 3 6 says, Paul speaking to the church, he says, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We are fellow heirs of the kingdom to come. Fellow heirs with who? With Jesus Christ and the Jews. Jews who believe will be in the kingdom. Jews and Gentiles together In one new body, known as the church, we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Revelation 21 and verse 7, after describing all of these wonderful events of the kingdom and and how Christ is going to come again and establish it, Revelation 21, 7 says, "...he who overcomes will inherit these things." And just like our hymn, very timely, said this morning, Faith is the victory. Faith is how we overcome the world. He who overcomes will inherit these things, will inherit this kingdom that is to come, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So the the main thought here of John's thinking and mentioning these three things is that we are heirs of this kingdom to come. We, have, we are fellow partakers in this kingdom to come that is in Jesus Christ. Leading up to that, in this life that we are living now, we will have tribulation. Kind of like our timeline, but a little bit different. There's tribulation and then kingdom. We have tribulation in this life then we will be heirs with him. We will will rule and reign with him, future tense. In this life, we face tribulations, but it will be worth it because we have the hope and looking forward to this kingdom to come that is in the future with him. But what is it going to take to succeed? Succeed. What is it? What do we need to uh, be partaking in in this life in order to uh, excel in that kingdom or live for that kingdom that we have in the future? There's no promise that it's going to be a bed of roses, and that's why we need perseverance. We are also fellow partakers in the perseverance that is in Jesus. He describes for us what it takes to be successful in the Christian life. We have tribulation. It's going to be worth it. We have the kingdom, but in the meantime, it's going to take perseverance. Just this week, I read an article. In fact, it was yesterday. Uh, I, as you know i 'm interested in endurance sports, particularly cycling, so sometimes I read some things about that and uh the The article basically said that uh, endurance sports are all about pain management. it is difficult you and if you want to have any success in it, you have to have pain tolerance and there is in there in the article was describing ways to manage pain and different workouts that you can do to increase your pain tolerance. Well, guess what? The Christian life is an endurance race. It's not a sprint. It is a long-distance race, and it takes pain tolerance to make it through the trials of life, and that's what perseverance is. Pain tolerance, hypomone, is the, the Greek term for it. And uh, so when we come to this, perseverance, I don't know about you, but for whatever reason, my mind almost always goes to, oh, perseverance of the saints. Is perseverance a requirement for eternal life? Do I, must I persevere in good works to the end of my life in order to have eternal life. And that's going to be the P in the tulip, the five points of Calvinism. And this idea of perseverance, it can also, is kind of had the popularized term of lordship salvation. There's two kinds of lordship salvation, one on the front end and one on the back uh, and of salvation. And so on the front end it's going to be something like having to count the cost forsaking all sin and and understanding this as a requirement before you believe and if you haven't done that if you haven't forsaken all sin then you haven't really believed there's kind of a few issues with that as a as a person who's just hearing the gospel how could you possibly forsake all sin you don't even know what all sin is I- even in your own personal life do you have to understand that you are a sinner separated from god most certainly most certainly do you, you do. On the back end, it's going to be things like, well, if you commit this certain sin, well, you probably didn't believe. If you com- commit this sin five, maybe six times, you certainly didn't believe. And so it just kind of becomes convoluted. Did I actually believe? Am I persevering to the end? And there's a... Uh, Person that uh, we're all very familiar with, and and I, in researching this this week, you know, it's kind of been sugar coated over the years to say, oh, wow, well, no, that's not actually what we mean. But let's just go right to the source. Uh, somebody that we're very familiar with, John MacArthur, and I, you know, this even just this week after I've made this slide, I felt kind of bad because I watched a video of him where he he absolutely destroyed. Tim Keller, which was very interesting to watch and would recommend it. So I don't, I don't not recommend everything that John MacArthur says. However, when it comes to precisely what the gospel is, I would not recommend John MacArthur. He says, this is from the gospel according to Jesus penned by John MacArthur, kind of a Could you maybe a prideful term for a book? One might say. At any rate, he says, as a part of his saving work, God will produce repentance, faith, sanctification, yieldedness, obedience, and ultimately glorification. Since he is not dependent on human effort in producing these elements of, remember the elements. God produces repentance. God produces faith. God produces sanctification, yieldedness, obedience. He's not dependent on human effort in producing these elements. An experience that lacks any of them cannot be saving the saving work of God. So if you let's keep in mind, salvation is something that is objective. On a day in human history... Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross for your sins and mine. The scriptures tell us that by believing or trusting in his sacrifice for your sins, you have eternal life. That is very objective. Is perfect yieldedness objective? No, that's very subjective. I Am not perfectly yielded to God at all times. Obedience, obedience must be perfect. By definition, it has to be perfect or it isn't salvation. It isn't that infinite righteousness of Christ transferred to me, imputed to me. Because if I'm not perfectly obedient, then I'm not perfectly righteous. And so then, according to this definition, I cannot have the saving work of God applied to me because it's got to be yieldedness. It's got to be obedience. It's got to be sanctification. That sanctification means perfection by definition. That's what that term means. So this is very subjective. The proponents, John MacArthur, of course, is kind of the popularized version of it. He's the face of it, but he's not the only progenitor of it by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, it was uh, originally, or not even originally, but it was certainly penned by John Calvin, a definition very similar to, to this. And uh, one, one glaring problem with this is that there is... There is zero assurance of salvation in this kind of very subjective uh, language concerning what salvation really is all about. So the people who push this kind of thing are always, you know, I'm here. Well, of course I'm saved. Of course I'm, persevering but you over there i've got some i've got my doubts about you cuz you're doing this and you're not giving to the church as much as you should you're not doing enough good works you're not doing this you're not doing that and you are doing this or that it very legalistic to To say the say the least, and it's just a very a very slippery slope to get onto if you are requiring anything other than faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. You know, we can all have the certain sin that oh, if you're if you're doing that, there's no way. Well, you can add pride is also uh, a sin. Not loving people is a sin. Uh, Pride is a sin. Thinking too highly of yourself is a sin as well that separates you from the living God just the same. The fact of the matter is the Bible gives us one condition for salvation. John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has present tense, eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed, perfect tense, past event with ongoing consequences, out of death, into life. It very much takes perseverance, on the other hand, to be sanctified, to be mature, is the biblical definition of that. And it absolutely takes perseverance to do that to grow in Christ, to grow to maturity. James one 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans five verse. One, Therefore, having been justified by faith, that's trusting in him, believing in him, one condition mentioned there, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. That sounds a lot like what we're talking about now. We're saved. It's going to be difficult, but we exalt in the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, small t, knowing that tribulation, thlipsis, small t, brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So when John says that we are fellow partakers in the perseverance in Jesus, this is what he's describing. Life is going to be difficult. It's going to take perseverance. It's going to take steadfastness in order to attain this maturity that we're all striving for, that's in Jesus Christ. So in this life, expect... Tribulations, small t philipsis. Then we have but we have to look forward to the kingdom, but in order to get to that kingdom it's going to take perseverance. I'll leave you with this Acts fourteen, verse twenty one. Speaking of Paul, after they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, the brethren, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, quote, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. By definition, we are not in the kingdom of God. It's we're going to go through many tribulations, small t, and then enter the kingdom, and that's why it's going to take perseverance. It will be worth it. We, we have not seen the glories that we will experience with Jesus Christ in his future kingdom and on for eternity. We are brothers in Christ if we've believed in him. We have fellowship in Christ and with one another. Part of that fellowship is the difficulties of life that we're going through. We will also have fellowship with him in the kingdom. And we all need this perseverance or endurance to carry on into the future. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this ancient text of revelation and the truths that we find here. I thank you for the patience of these people as we make our way through this uh, very important information and it's so, so important for us and it, and it would seem it grows more and more important with every passing day here in our country. And I pray that you would be with each one of us, help us to stand firm for you and the truth of your word. And uh, just pray that we in Flushing Bible Church would be uh, a shining light on a hill for you and truly salt and light for this community that so desperately needs the truth of salvation through faith in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.